Raptors Rebus is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Raptors and NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. If you're a Toronto Raptor fan and you want to see if your seats for that game will give you a good view of the 2018-19 NBA Championship banner that now hangs in Scotiabank Arena, well, the GameTime app also lets you uh, take look at panoramic seat views uh, from each section of the arena so you can figure out exactly what your sight lines will be like. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Eric Kareem. Eric, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. Just uh, getting over the excitement of a unique day, a unique night in Scotiabank Arena history. Yeah, the Toronto Raptors received their 2018-19 NBA Championship ring. A banner went up denoting that the Raptors are 2018-19 NBA champions. A thing that happened, Eric, they really they really did that. Four months later, uh, feels, you know, it was kind of a surreal throwback. It was a, a very cool night at Scotiabank Arena, if a very long night. Uh, before we get into the Raptors' actual opener against the New Orleans Pelicans, which they won 130 to 122 in overtime, Eric, uh, you're, do you have some, some feelings about the night that was? <laughs> no, I think the coolest moment was uh for me was watching the video and obviously the crowd went crazy uh when they reshowed the uh four bounce miracle uh but also at the same level is the reaction to fred van vliet's primal scream after his big uh i believe it was his final three-pointer of the fourth quarter in game six like that you know it will never be as big of a moment i don't think as the four bouncer just because i mean one of them is basically unmatched in history. Yeah, <laughs> as, the first Game uh, 7 yeah. walk-off buzzer beater. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think as a, as a symbol of their championship, that might you know stand right beside it. And to see that happen was really cool. Um, I don't think like any of the individual reactions uh, really stuck with me maybe Masai Ujiri's when say, he, yeah, he was trying pumps. to yeah when he was trying to pump up the crowd um and I think it was very you know not to say he wasn't thrilled obviously he's thrilled but it was also premeditated as this is a guy who cares very much about establishing a tone and getting this city and this country to believe in in what they're doing and um I think that that was sort of the singular reactive moment that that will stick with me how about you yeah um pretty much the same i obviously we talked about this a lot during the playoff run and after the championship i'm just really happy for kyle lowry and for all the you know the bumps that come along the way with lowry and and things like at shoot around he talks about his players tribute article and makes it clear that he'd never open up, up to us like that um you know, I, I don't know, man. I was really happy for him and him getting to take the mic and even like down to his shoes, the North Philly shoes um, and him designing the ring. And he obviously took a ton of pride in that. I thought it was a really cool night for him. Kind of, a 
you know, he's been at this longer. He has more equity in the organization. He's been in the league longer than anyone other than Gasol on the team. Um, I think it meant, I also, this is the, <laughs> the geek in me, but like, first of all, the fact that as the Raptors introduce guys, they absolutely introduce them in order of importance, which yeah. like reverse order of importance, which I thought was really funny. Cause there was no, like, there wasn't like a, Oh, we're going by Jersey number or last name or anything. It was just like, no, sorry, Malcolm, you're coming out first. Boucher, you're coming out next. Uh, work our way up. I thought it was cool that Jody Meeks and Eric Moreland were there. Um, I thought it was, you know, I obviously he had to do it, but Lowry shouting out guys like Jordan Lloyd and Jeremy Lin who weren't there and, and Danny and Kawhi um, was pretty cool. And man, it was so weird to watch Danny Green guard Kawhi Leonard in oh, the yeah. Lakers and Clippers jerseys. Yes. Um, Not the point, but. No, I, I did see a, I, did, I, you know, we were both writing at that point, but when I was looking up at the TV, it was, it was strange. Uh, By the way, the four sure. leading scores in the NBA right now. All members of the 2018-19 NBA champion Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Danny um, Green went off. Yeah, anyway, that's well, not what we're talking it, about. It's not, it's not the playoffs, Blake. Of course he did. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I thought also, all of that was cool. I don't really have a take on the rings. Like, I think it's cool that everyone got a replica one. Obviously, it means a lot to the guys. Um, I talked to some of the guys about what they chose as their inscription for inside the ring. And a lot of guys obviously use that for... Um, very personal things, which I think is a nice, um, yeah. a nice way to individualize that team accomplishment for for everyone to have something that means something to them inside the ring. Um, you know, like a lot of guys, it was oh, I put my family's initials or things like that. OG had his dad's name, um, who passed before the season started. Uh, I think a lot of stuff like that was was cool. What did you think? Of, you you got an up close look at the rings and, and wrote um, kind of a backstory on how Lowry. Lowry's role in building out the rings. Uh, what was what was that like? What were your thoughts? Because I still, you know, I didn't get a replica ring. I didn't get time to wear the the actual ring like uh, lead writer Eric Kareen did. Eric, your thoughts on the <laughs> the ring itself? Well, as you know, based on the uh, the ceremony last night, I did receive one. It's always great to be Eric Corey. Um, <laughs> anyway. That's I am not Eric Corey, but uh, it is an annual tradition when the Raptors introduce their whole staff on opening night that a few people think I work for the Raptors. Um, when Don't you, in actual, you chill? Y- yeah, when in actuality he's now a Raptors 905 assistant, am I right? He sure uh, that, is. That's correct, right? Um, anywho, uh, they are very big. <laughs> um, they are very heavy. They are not meant for everyday use. Uh, uh, you know, you're, you're not just going to wear this around casually. Uh, if you did, A, your hand would, it would just not be comfortable, and B, you'd become a walking target for, you know, some sort of crime. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the funniest thing to me was hearing about Lowry's first meeting with the, uh, with the jeweler and with the MLSE contingent and just telling the jewelers, uh, I'm not wowed yet. I want to be wowed. <laughs> and, you know, in, in my mind, I just picture him walking away out of the meeting. Uh, I don't think he actually did that at that point. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, Kyle Lowry is an opinionated guy. And, you know, like I wrote, like, <laughs> ask any coaches. He's not just going to sit there and, and listen in meetings. He's going to offer his input. So when he became the, the player representative for these rings, he was going to... Uh, 
do the same. And uh, I know he was instrumental in getting the North and the Chevron on the face of the ring. And uh, that was as a nod to the earned jerseys, the red jerseys, uh, so like the red version of the Drake uh, City jerseys, basically, uh, that they wore in, among other games, game four in Philly, uh, game five in Milwaukee, and games four and six in Golden State. Uh, not that they didn't lose in those jerseys. I'm pretty sure they did in the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, they there some of their biggest moments came in those jerseys. Uh, so it's cool to have that, you know, standing in as both a nod to the playoff run and obviously to Canada and We the North and, and all that stuff. I think that's the neatest part for me. Um, and there's also the 74 diamonds on the face representing the regular season plus playoff wins uh, from last year. It's uh, it's kind of cool. Um, and, and yeah, to, to add to your point, Kyle Lowry had his... Uh, kids initials and wife initials in inside on his uh on his um for his personalization and that was something that was also very important to him that everybody get a chance to put their own stamp on on the rings and it's so it's a way to make you know as nick it's who called it a piece of furniture it was nick nurse right i think so um to make a piece of furniture a bit more personal um it's cool i I mean i'm not going to talk about them aesthetically uh reasonable minds can disagree there i think sure uh just a heads up though uh kyle lowry's children's initials are the same as kyle lowry so really kyle might have just got his own initials a bunch of times twice yes kyle lowry over everything (laughs) uh last question on the opening night before we turn to the game surprise drake wasn't there I didn't look at his touring schedule or anything. Did 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 you? Uh, I will do that right now as you talk about whether or not you're surprised. Yeah, I mean, I assumed it was a chance to celebrate a win, so he would be there. Uh, Drake is sort of known for you know wanting to be in the middle of positive situations. So yeah, I, I mean, it was natural to assume that the global ambassador would uh, would make his uh, his presence felt before, you know, the Raptors returned to being ignored for five months or so. Uh, but yeah, it does not look like Drake had a concert or anything like that, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he was just maybe he was too deep in his feelings. I don't know. Wow. I don't know about that, Eric. You know what he should do? Take a lot of drugs. That, oh, that will I thought, it, help I thought that was going to be a Drake lyric drop or something like no, that. No, but, uh, no. Raptors no, Reasonable is sponsored by Big Pharma. Apparently. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Sorry. I hope uh, that can be edited out. Um, okay, so the, the rings are handed out. The banner is unveiled. The, the banner is cool, by the way. I, I think it's really eye-catching. Um, Look at banner, and- Michael. <laughs> having uh having the name sort of uh inscribed not inscribed wrong word but stitched uh around. stitched around the outside of it uh in the red is it's a nice touch yeah i liked it uh so they turn from that they have about 12 minutes most of which is taken up by doug tronquata doing the national anthems and then they have to play some basketball against the new orleans pelicans uh, new orleans coming in without Zion Williamson, which took a little bit of the buzz of the game away, but the Pelicans, no, I mean, less formidable an opponent, but still 
uh, a pretty good one and also a team that is going to try to run the ball down your throat in transition, which if you're a team that's dealing with 12 to 24 game minutes of emotional hangover might not get you out to the best start. The Raptors immediately dug themselves an 11 point hole. I think they were down 15 to four uh, pretty much out of the gate. Things looked uh, a little dicey there. I think we all kind of saw the potential for that. In fact, when I was on uh, the our national NBA show, The Daily Ding, earlier this week, I said that the game would probably play out where the Raptors come out and they're a little hungover early, they get behind, and then eventually they come back for a narrow victory. That is how it played out. Um, that is why you should listen to The Daily Ding and, and listen to <laughs> Raptors Reasonable's podcast because you get, you get sharp things like that and the Raptors with the sneaky overtime cover that the spread on that game was six and a half to seven points. So I think when Lowry hit that big three to push it from five to eight, there was like a huge sigh uh, in the gambling community, either positive or negative, because that's a, that's a big swing bucket late in overtime. Anyway, the Raptors start out very, very shaky. They eventually get it together. Um... Down five at half, kind of come back in the third. The fourth quarter is uh, comes down to the wire. It's a, It wasn't awful because, you know, the Raptors were running thin and, and probably emotionally exhausted and the Pelicans aren't bad. Uh, it came down to the final possession. Let's start there, Eric, before we get into some of the individual performances. The final possession of regulation, it's a tie game. There are eight seconds left. Uh, I joked on Twitter that a Kawhi ISO was coming. Instead, they inbounds the ball to Norman Powell. He dribbles out the entire clock and pulls up for a 30-footer. Uh, there wasn't much action. The Raptors have always leaned pretty conservative in these tie game situations. Uh, the reason being that the odds of you losing in regulation, if you hold for the last shot, are zero. The odds of you winning are probably less than if you actually run a more meaningful play, but they like their chances in overtime. They think they have a better than 50% chance of winning at home in overtime as the better team, uh, so they are very conservative there. That might have been an overextension of conservatism, Eric. Um, yes, and before I agree with you, I, I want to point out two things. One, Pascal Siakam had fouled out at that point. And two, you essentially could not give the ball to Fred Van Vliet, who had sprained or hurt his ankle uh, landing on a camera person, correct? Um, and he had, yeah. yeah. Nick Nurse mentioned that they'd had to move Van Vliet off ball yeah, like he, a little bit and, more and because of the ankle. And... Just anecdotally, like after he came back in the fourth quarter, he was essentially shooting or passing and not really dribbling. And his on-the-ball defense when he was on the ball was not very good, uh, as opposed to what it usually is. So just handing him the ball, which probably, you know, like those, based on the game, those guys were your first two options if you were just going to go ISO, um, and they weren't available. So then if you're going to go ISO, the options become Kyle Lowry or Norm Powell, um, because you don't really want to give it to one of the bigger guys and you're not giving it to OG Ananobi in that situation. Uh, saying that, I, you know, I'd like to see them be a bit more creative at times. Um, and I think it was also player error. Like, Norm Powell made a bad decision. He got pressed, as Nick, Nor Nick Nurse said, and he just dribbled too far away from the basket for too long. And... We can talk about, and and we should, like, I, I think based on this roster's strengths, I would like to see them 
use like like there were just so many great actions uh, that they used, including one that got Van Vliet a tying three pointer late in regulation, um, in, in which you know all the action was you know around the ball, and then Van Vliet just moved off you know away from the ball, and Reddick was caught ball watching, and he, there was a wide open. Uh, corner three-pointer for Fred Van Vliet. And there were multiple situations like that where there were great ATOs. And so they have this in their in their repertoire, and this team skill set should suggest that they, they are leaning on those strengths a bit more often because, you know, certainly aside from Siakam, who can has a number of angles and moves to finish near or, or at the rim. There's not a lot of great isolation scorers on this on this roster. And you, uh, I mean, there is something to be said about going into overtime uh, at home, but you can also afford to be a bit more experimental in, in this situation with this team, I think, specifically. Yeah, plus, you know, if they turn the ball over and lose in regulation, well, maybe that's merciful since everyone was playing like 40 minutes in this game because um, I think probably we're going to talk about some individual performances because I thought there were some notable positives and negatives in that regard. I think the thing that stood out most to me at the team level, though, other than that decision at the end of regulation, and obviously this worked out because the Raptors ended up winning the game uh, in overtime with a 13-5 to uh, scoring overtime, the Pelicans just couldn't get anything against the Raptors' defense, uh, which at that point was the starters, but with Norman Powell and Pascal Siakam's place having fouled out. Oh, by the way, the Raptors started Van Vliet as the two-guard, and as much as that has looked all camp like it might be fluid between him and Powell, if Nor if Fred Van Vliet scores 34 points every night, uh, that's not going to be... This has... that Last night had OG versus Siakam at power forward last year written all over it the way Van Vliet played. Um, they might still rotate that around a little bit but we yeah, may have like been boston thinking what? boston will will be an interesting test case for that right because they are yes. generally bigger uh and, and start, philly and yeah they start hey, they start hayward or, or i figure they haven't played yet i figure they're going to start hayward uh brown and tatum at two three four so that means van vliet would have to or or lowry would have to guard one of those guys and and None of them are, are J.J. Redick types that are running off the ball uh, and just going around screens, which both Lowry and, and Van Vliet are very good at, at covering. They're, With they're that said, of, though, yeah, yes. Jason Tatum has... Jason Tatum is better than Brandon Ingram, but he does have a little bit of the, if I have a mismatch, I will just make poor decisions. Like, Ingram last night was shooting 20-footers over Fred Van Vliet. He drives me... Like, I... Oh man, I would. He's got to be so frustrating to coach. <laughs> like, there is yeah. a lot of talent there. Yes, and it's absolutely. Ha! Like, ah, you 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 wouldn't have to change all that much to be good. You, and you, you know he got hung like he he was the Pelicans' leading scorer last night with twenty two points, but he got hung with a minus nineteen and took twenty three possessions to get those twenty two points. That's uh, not good. Not great. Anyway, to your point about Van Vliet against the Celtics, I mean, maybe they try that. It, it, like, I would be willing to wait and see what Hayward looks like before fearing him in a mismatch or something like that. I think you can maybe, you know, Tatum's pretty good, but you might be able to goad him into, uh, a, like, over-attacking a one-on-one mismatch at the expense of the overall offense, like Ingram kind of did. Uh, but yeah, 
Friday will be an interesting test uh, for that. And also, we have to see if Fred Van Vliet's healthy enough to play on Friday. But Yeah, we'll so Van Vliet stepped on a cameraman. Uh, I asked him after the game about that, and he was pretty adamant that the league needs to do something. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. It's something that comes up a couple times a year. Uh, Fred Van Vliet mentioned that it's happened to him four or five times over the last two years or so. Uh, his point was that the cameras are such high quality now that like we really don't need the guys to be that close which uh, is probably a fair assessment. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I if, if you is... talk to a photographer, I, I'm I'm guessing they would disagree, but uh, and this isn't our field of expertise, certainly. Um, but I don't know, man. For, you ever for seen for my a, Instagram? <laughs> for a league that... Some pretty concert shots. Yeah. At Eve for a, on Instagram. <laughs> for a league that is... Uh, that puts player health... That is trying to, at least, put player health uh, at the forefront... This is a very, you know, it's not, like you said, it's something that comes up frequently. It's something that our colleague Holly McKenzie is very passionate about. Um, and it just, I can see it in like five years seem, seeming like, wait, we were still letting this happen five years ago? Like it's, these guys are too big and move too fast. And there's too much, you know, traffic at the rim uh, for them to be that close in a safe manner. That's just how I see it. Now, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm not wanting to trample on photographers' rights, uh, but I, I think, I think there's probably a compromise to, to be found here. But maybe I'm just an optimist, Blake. Yeah. Maybe I'm, um, maybe I'm just a dreamer. You really didn't want me to get that Instagram plug up. And I accidentally swore, uh, which I don't even know if we're allowed to do or not. I assume because part of the podcast offering here at The Athletic includes birds all day, that that's fine. Uh, I don't know if the Leaf Report, the, the Leafs guys swear. I can't imagine they do, but I feel like birds all day. Probably, oh, what a pro. What a probably, pro. <laughs> yeah. If you're not going to let me plug my own stuff, I'm going to plug someone else's off of that. What a pro. E. Blake Murphy on Instagram. Yes, Producer sir. Tyler just messaged me and said everybody swears, so we're all right. <laughs> um, funny, funny moment this week. This is a tangent, but uh, OG Ananobi had probably his best podium session ever. Uh, this week at, at practice and he was asked about it was a nonsense question but it, he was asked about what kind of music pumps him up and he started talking about the yeah, the new Young Thug album which is very good and we talked about it a little bit last night uh, it is loaded with swearing and OG and Jennifer Quinn the Raptors head of media relations they have a very cute relationship in general but I guess she really doesn't like when OG swears or listens to music with swearing um, so I think if OG plays like he played last night, then he'll be allowed to listen to all the music with swearing he wants. Oh and my god, he what a this segue. podcast where, where I swear, apparently. If, uh, yes. Shit, yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, okay, what I was going to say before we got on to Van Vliet as a starter, uh, Van Vliet, by the way, said he's mostly fine. His ankle's pretty sore. He referred to it as a sprain. I don't know if that's an official diagnosis, but obviously he finished the game. Uh, he's got two days off. Luckily now, but that thing's going to be sore on Wednesday. Uh, the Fred Vliet played 44 minutes in this game. Kyle Lowry played 45. Load management is out of here. Uh, Dead. Not really. They'll still... Dead. Load management is still going to be a thing. They're still going to be conscious of guys' minutes in general. I think they wanted the W on opening night. The game obviously went to overtime, which bumped those numbers by five minutes each, but... Even had it ended in regulation, that would have been 39 for Van Vliet, 40 for Lowry, 38 for Siakam. Uh, that is a lot of minutes. The reason 
is that the Raptors ran an eight-man rotation. Until about 17 minutes into the game, that was a seven-man rotation. Luckily, they trusted undrafted rookie Terrence Davis. He gave them what I thought were 15 pretty good minutes, five points, five rebounds, two assists, a couple steals. Uh, looked better defensively than he looked all of preseason, which has to be encouraging. Uh, but from for the most part, this was a... We'll call it an eight-man rotation because Davis played 15 minutes. That's enough yeah, to be considered in the rotation. Yeah. But this was a, a very tight rotation. Patrick McCaw and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson were both out injured. They are ostensibly in the 8-10 to 10 mix with Terrence Davis, and maybe they would have had some more faith uh, in going deeper in the rotation had one or both of those guys been available. Uh, by, but the man, sound, by the sounds of it, McCaw definitely would have been in the rotation. The thing is, is that I don't know that McCaw would have been a ninth man or he would have just played yeah, Davis. Yeah, just replaced minutes. Davis, yeah. Any, anyway, the, point taken. Yeah, so the question here is, I, I guess the interesting wrinkle of Davis being the eighth man uh, was that it, in the first half, the Raptors ran some of their funkier lineups that they had tried in Brooklyn. Uh, the Ibaka-Gasol pairing got a little bit. Siakam got two minutes at the three. Uh, but in the second half, they kind of settled on a more standard rotation. Ibaka and Gasol in and out for each other. Um, when Siakam fouled out and Anobi slid over to the four, they played some three-guard lineup with Norman Powell at the three uh, or Terrence Davis. I think Terrence Davis even played a little bit with Lowry and Van Vliet where he would have ostensibly been the three. Um, you know, I think it looked more normal than the first half where they were trying funky lineups and certainly more normal than Friday. Uh, I do wonder if Hollis Jefferson is healthy and works his way into the rotation, if that changes to where they're using a bench forward uh, rather than only two bench guards. But in general, the, the specifics don't matter here so much as there's no way they can run this tight of rotation long-term, right? No, absolutely not. And, like, Kyle Lowry was up at, I think, 21 minutes through the first half, or, or at least more than 20. That can't happen. It Like, this was his second game back from thumb surgery, and he only started contact drills, like, last week. So, and I, I do think the opening night was important to them and, and sort of... You know, sub, even if it wasn't a conscious thing, like subconsciously, you know, it was not the off season that they wanted to have. And it's important to sort of put this, get this thing started on, on the right note, uh, just mentally. Uh, so that's important. I, I do think, you know, even if both of uh, Hollis Jefferson, Sucka, and uh, and uh, McCaw aren't available on Friday. I'd bet someone like Stanley Johnson gets in um, just for, you know, another big body against a plethora of bigger Boston wings. Uh, and, you know, Nick Nurse is not dumb. He knows this is an unsustainable thing. Uh, and, you know, they'll have a back-to-back, too. You can't, you can't run a seven- or eight-man rotation in back-to-back uh, nights in this league or else... Uh, I mean, you saw how precarious it got when Van Vliet was injured and then left to, you know, basically be playing off the ball and, and Siakam fouled out. Like, they were... They didn't have many options. They didn't have any options, practically. So this is going to broaden, and I, I would expect Johnson and, you know, Chris Boucher and even Malcolm Miller or Matt Thomas to get to get looks uh, even before McCaw and Hollis Jefferson get back, if either of those is a long-term thing, which I don't believe they're supposed to be, but uh, uh, we haven't heard any firm updates or diagnoses on uh, them yet. Yeah, the Celtics will be interesting for those choices, too, just because, 
you know, they're like you said, they're wing heavy, and that pre- pre- presents, geez, presents some size uh, challenges two through four, and, and sometimes maybe even two through five. But they're thin at center too, so you know, do the Raptors try to go bully ball like they did against Philly and play the Ibaka Gasol pairing a little bit more and? Just, you know, hope you can get by with Ibaka on, say, Gordon Hayward or something like that. Or do they, you know, are are Gasol and Ibaka limited to just matching up, you know, splitting the center minutes down the middle uh, to get an extra wing out there? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know that it's a Chris Boucher game. I want it to be a Chris Boucher game because I want every game to be a Chris Boucher game. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't I don't love Boucher. Given his strengths and weaknesses, I don't love like an Ennis Cantor matchup for him. But <laughs> we'll... Uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But by um, the way, uh, the Marcus All Serge Ibaka lineup isn't going to get that much run if their worst rebounding period of the games come with them on the floor together. Yeah, five which is what <laughs> which is what happened thing. against the Pelicans. That was bad uh, and sort of defeats a lot of the purpose of getting those guys out there together. Anyway, yeah, I I thought that Ibaka had a pretty good game. Uh, hilariously. Yeah. He took every one of the Raptors' mid-range shots. Like, the Raptors very much stuck to paints, paint and threes only, as we kind of expect them to do. The, and the Ibaka, shot spectrum it, is back, baby! Except for Abaka because he's open on those 18-footers every damn time. Yeah. Uh, he shot 4 of 10. He got to the line pretty well. 13 points, 5 rebounds. He had a couple turnovers, but they were, you know, tough pocket passes or him trying to make the right play. Um, and, and he even... He got doubled in the post and found Terrence Davis. He didn't, on a cut, he didn't get an assist for it because Davis missed and, and then scored his missed own offensive twice. rebound. But missed twice. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but that was, you know, that's a play, that's a pass that Ibaka hasn't always made in the past, and he's done a pretty good job of that so far in the preseason and the opener. Uh, Ibaka, I thought Ibaka should have closed um, when Melly, Melly was killing the Raptors. Uh, he looks like a, a real player. When he came back in for Jaleel Okafor late, the Raptors went to Ibaka to match up. I thought that was the right call. I thought Ibaka had outplayed Gasol in general. Uh, they went back to Gasol uh, for overtime. Gasol did not look great. And I don't know how much of that is he didn't play a lot in the preseason, or maybe he's just fatigued, or maybe he's just old. Uh, he shot two of nine, only had four rebounds in 32 minutes. He had, a, as Nick Nurse pointed out early uh, after the game, he was minus 21, like, in a hurry, and then slowly worked his way back. I think he got down to... Down or up, whatever, however you want to say it, to minus 22 at some point. Um, There you go. And he finished a minus two, so things obviously turned around. uh, But I thought that was a a shaky Gasol performance, especially compared to the Ibaka performance. And I was a little surprised Gasol got the closing nod. Yeah, I'd agree across the board. I'm not ready. I mean, like, think of the Milwaukee series, right? Like, people were done with Mark Gasol, and then he comes back and is very effective, not only in that series, but also in the Golden State series. We just saw him be uh, really good in that last preseason game against a pair of legitimate big men and Jared Allen and and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, So, yeah, there are going to be nights where his offensive game just looks like it's done and it looks like he's cooked, but I'm really you know i'm okay just saying this was a bad one for him uh and i I don't even want to draw like uh, make an attempt at causation really like i i I don't feel comfortable doing that which i think is pretty reasonable did you not find it 
Did you not find it After alarming though game. that when Marcus All was introduced for his ring, he did like the stone cold hand signal for someone to throw him a beer? <laughs> I think he was asking for bottles of rosé, uh, which would be difficult to catch, e- even with Marcus All's hands, um, which I assume are large. I mean, he's a seven footer. Even if they were small for a seven footer, they would still be large hands. Um, anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> I, I think I think he's you know he's thirty four turning thirty five. He's gonna. We've already seen that he's gonna have nights like this. We went through the whole JV is better thing, um, and uh, you know in the regular season and certainly early in the playoffs. And we saw like what value he has defending Vucevic and defending Embiid. And, you know, actually exploiting Golden State's lack of size uh, and, you know, vastly outplaying DeMarcus Cousins in, in certain games of that series. So I'm I'm not ready to be worried about this. I, I do think his I do think unevenness is definitely going to be a part of his season just because of where he's at in his career. All right. Elsewhere, let's talk about some some positives. Uh, yes, Kyle Lowry I know. Twenty two points. I thought five rebounds, six assists. Somebody else. Uh, what? I thought you were going to start with somebody else, but let's talk about Kyle. Uh yeah. I just because Kyle's Kyle's a quick one. Twenty two five and six. He shot three of eleven on threes. I think there's a, an obvious element of he really hasn't played much the last couple months. You can maybe expect the three point shot to be a little slower to come along. But man, thirteen free throw attempts. Yeah, that's that's positive. Um, and and the Raptors, two, two huge the ones at the end of the game. Sorry, uh, two huge ones at the end of the game uh, off, I believe it was a turnover, and he just went uh, coast to coast. And I think well, it was Josh Hart maybe that, that fouled him. Uh, big play since the Raptors weren't exactly cooking in the non-ATO uh, half court uh, for most of that game. Yeah, I thought the fact that they got 38 free throws in this game was really encouraging. Uh, you look at the historical and especially recently recent history free throw rates of the guys on the roster, and it looked like the Raptors profiled as a bottom 10, if not even lower, uh, free throw rate team. This is obviously just one game. The Pelicans are young and kind of new together and were a little scattered defensively. Uh, but Siakam and Lowry each getting the line double-digit times. Van Vliet and Ibaka each getting their six times. If you get to if you have an 18 free throw edge at the line, I think that's going to help with some of your um, offensive struggles. And I mean, they bombed a lot of threes. They were 14 of 40, which is 35 percent. I feel like that's you know they'd like to be higher than 35 percent, but that's a tolerable uh, yeah. three point percentage for them. And Lowry's could come up. A lot of that was just Fred Van Vliet being on fire. So let's talk about Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van. That's Vliet not even who I thought you were going to start with either. But let's do I it. I know you thought I was going to talk about OG. Yeah. We'll get to OG. All right. Uh, Fred VanVleet, career high, 34 points, plus uh, game high, plus 18. Also kicked in seven assists. The five of seven on threes stand out, especially because he hit two big ones in the clutch. Uh, The thing that was most impressive to me, or at least um, most notable in terms of projecting VanVleet forward, because I think we all know he's an elite three-point shooter or can be an elite three-point shooter. Um, The first one was... He was a little sharper, at least hunting out pocket passes in the pick and roll. There were some issues there, some that bounced off feet, a couple turnovers. Uh, but that's something, that's an element of his game that he needed to improve. And it looked like he's at least making that a point of emphasis. Uh, but the big one was finishing at the rim. He finished with both hands. Uh, he made tough finishes. 
He's putting funky spin on the ball or, or using angles off the glass well. Uh, he was, you know, in each year of his career, he's been a pretty poor finisher, uh, not just in general, but for a guard even. Uh, that's, you know, again, just one game. It's not like the Pelicans have elite rim protection with Derek Favors and Jaleel Okafor as their centers. Uh, but I thought it was really encouraging. And he needs to maybe fall a little bit less because him and Lowry combined for like a dozen falls after layups. Uh, and they're all scary. But Van Vliet looked awesome. Yeah, he was really good. And I think it's time to start panicking about him leaving in free agency, personally. I did my best. Um, he, yeah, he's he was excellent, especially, obviously, before before the ankle thing. Um, you know, he as, as you pointed out, he might be ruining his own sixth man of the year campaign by being too good uh, to, <laughs> to bench, which is fine they'll take that um if it if it means he stabilizes the starting lineup um it you know and defensively again before the ankle thing he was excellent which is considering he's never played this many minutes uh at this level um you know it's it's a tough thing to do to have that much of the ball and be that good defensively and i thought he was he was really good um and it's, uh, you know, if you're projecting this team forward, having him and Lowry sort of be able to trade off not only offensively, but defensively with the tougher guard matchup, uh, it's a it's a big, big thing. Uh, it, it, you know, you don't think of having six foot, two six foot guys and being versatile, but you sort of like you could sort of see how that would work out in the long term. Um, or how it could work out in the long term to, to actually increasing their versatility uh, defensively, especially because they both, you know, punch above their weight class as uh, interior defenders. Yeah, you, I mean, you've seen this firsthand. I'm five foot ten, and I guard the big guy on your team when we play in that Thursday night league. Yeah, that's like well, a six foot height disadvantage, and I'm fine. And your team disintegrated because uh, of because your captain. Because Reynolds' leadership. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, our team really disintegrated because the Raptors' schedule is too balanced and there's no good night to pick. Mm, there, there are not many Thursdays any, this season. but uh, Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm referring to last, last Yeah, yeah. Last I got gotcha. Not important. Let's go. Okay. Fred Van Bleet scores 34 points. That's a, a huge boost to the offense, obviously. Career also high. Also scoring 34 points was Pascal Siakam. Uh, Siakam had a monster 34-18-5 game with one block. Uh, if you listen to the NBA Fantasy Dunks and Dimes podcast here on The Athletic, you were probably expecting uh, another step forward for Siakam statistically this year. You probably, e even those people who are very good at their jobs, probably weren't expecting 34-18-5 out of the gate. Um, that was quite a statement game. I actually, the craziest thing about Siakam's 34-18-5 line is that I went through my game notes after and... Obviously, there's some positives there, but more of my takes or more of my notes were like ho-hum or even negative. Yeah. Like, I did not think Siakam had his best uh, offensive game. He took 26 field goal attempts. Uh, he used 35 possessions to get those 34 points, which is not, um, you know, it's not bad when you're talking about that kind of volume, but it's not particularly efficient. Uh, his 18 rebounds were padded by the fact that he had six offensive rebounds and several of those were his own misses. Uh, but that was, uh, other than the foul out and, you know, even the four turnovers, he had five assists and I'm okay with the turnovers as he figures out how to yeah. be more of a playmaker. 
Um, pretty encouraging, even with the less efficient scoring night, because, you know, some of those, he missed some shots Shot, that he doesn't yeah. miss, like his finishes exactly. around the rim and stuff like that. Uh, I think he can, I don't think he'll put up 34, 18, and 5 every night, but I think he can be qualitatively better than he was in this one. I think he will put up 34, 18, and 5 every night. So You're going to lock who, that in right now? You should, uh, you should bet on him at 100 to 1 for MVP odds then. <laughs> Um, is are those his odds? When I when I checked, he wasn't even listed. Like he was listed among other, I guess. Yeah, but, he's a hundred yeah. to one. Okay. Uh, no, I, I mean I bet the under on whatever number you gave me. I think it was thirty three or thirty five for points. Thir- it was thirty five total points, rebounds, assists. Yeah. So I, I do not think that is particularly sustainable. Um, but like you, I did. I wasn't overwhelmed by his excellence. I thought he missed a few bunnies. He, you know, when. Uh, he came up short on a few hooks and when he went baseline as opposed toward the uh, as opposed to the middle like he his touch was just a bit off and we've seen him be a lot better in those situations saying that like the Raptors know where to look for him oh man there was one play my favorite play of the game was uh it was an after timeout and it was just a simple play where you know JJ Redick was an OG Ananobi and uh OG sets a screen for Pascal and they get the switch and OG just cuts from the top of the arc immediately and Siakam found him for that OG dunk plus uh, and and one. Like that's the type of stuff you can see with Siakam as such like a versatile attacker um, and being able to sort of exploit all these angles. And that's what you hope to see him continue to growing into. And I think when you're talking about his lack of efficiency, it's stuff. It's that type of thing where he went eleven for twenty six, but he easily could have gone eleven for twenty two. You know, like if if he hit some of those shots that. But he then misses. he only would yeah. have had fourteen rebounds. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's bad. <laughs> um, yeah, clearly this was bad. This was better. The uh, the uh, Siakam and Anobi uh, action you mentioned is interesting because I think it's a good encapsulation of all of the potential with Siakam in more of a ball handling role, but also the not struggles, but the learning curve that might be there because that's the same action that the Pelicans uh, sent two to the ball off of on Siakam's offensive foul that fouled them out of the game. Uh, because uh, did they you didn't put air really... quotes on offensive foul? Yeah, I, I didn't, but we can, uh, it, was, Nick Nurse, it was Nick Nurse botched using his challenge too early. It was debatable. Uh, I get why, like, I don't think it would have been overturned. Uh, had he had he challenged it, but it didn't look like there was much force going forward. Like it, it looked like he sort of stopped his momentum. Anyway, these things happen in the NBA. Yeah, if it makes anyone feel better, I'm pretty sure that even after, like uh, Kendrick Williams got called for a loose ball foul for boxing out Serge Ibaka. Well, uh, John Hollinger, uh, one of our amazing new writers at the Athletic, uh, pointed out, called on Twitter. He said he got the offensive foul for boxing out of Baca too effectively. Uh, Alvin Gentry challenged it. Their replay clearly showed it was clean, and they still upheld the foul. So it all evened out. The coach's challenge is going to be, uh, I can say it, it's going to be a shit show. It's not great. I don't, like, it, it was used in the G League, and it was kind of fun once in a while, but it just adds another review and, like, how often is there going to be conclusive enough evidence to overturn a call? It just... There's such I don't know. I understand calls, yeah. the idea, and I want I want every call to be correct, and I don't mind 
taking an extra 30 seconds if it's going to do it in a big situation. I don't know if we need to let coaches challenge calls in the first quarter. Like, not only from a game flow standpoint, but, like, from a leverage standpoint, I don't know that that's when you should be using it. But I guess, you know, if if that call gets overturned, then there's less foul trouble later. Um, They all matter and add up. But I just, I don't have a great feel for it yet. I don't think I like it. I'm with you. Uh, I know Zach Lowe, one of his predictions was that this is only going to last one year. And anyway, after two games, it's definitely too early to say, but it's just in the NBA, it's just so tough to conclusively believe anything, you know, like, unless it's just, unless it's just like a foot on, on the, uh, on the arc. Why can't I, the restricted area or not? Like other than that, like it's very hard, uh, to, conclusively come down on on a side Uh, you know it's easy to believe something very strongly but if you're taking the word conclusive uh literally it's going to be tough all right quickly on the other side of things uh the pelicans ran 12 deep i think they realized the raptors were a little thin and were trying to run it on them and use their depth to their advantage the unfortunate part of that is that some of their depth i mean they didn't they didn't play any bad players um, but some of those heavy bench units were a little shaky. Uh, our guy, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, shooting with the absolute confidence of a Toronto man's in the DMs, 1 of 10 in his NBA <laughs> debut. Uh, he looked better than that, but man, does that... Plus drive. 6. That's, Plus 6, yeah. baby. He got 10 shots off in 12 minutes. That is... That's good work. Uh, yeah. The one other guy we have to talk about, and you mentioned the restricted area. He drew a charge as he tried to do... Plenty in the preseason. I thought he was terrific on defense overall. I thought the Raptors had some issues. I, I know that the final defensive rating for the game was 107.6, which is totally fair, uh, especially since they gave up a bunch of offensive rebounds and turned the ball over a ton. Um, not a ton. They turned the ball over more than you would expect the Toronto And Raptors 19 to three-pointers, uh, which, you know, also had to do with the turnovers. Yeah, so this is this is the thing. Is the Pelicans shot 19 of 45 on threes. I think 14 of those were corner threes, which is a little more than you want to give up. Um, there are issues to clean up defensively, as you'd expect in game one. Uh, league-wide defense tends to... I, I know that the, the talking points are always that a team's offense takes a little longer to pick up. Statistically, uh, offense starts out higher and will taper off just a little bit. Uh, I th- so it's not surprising that the Raptors have some stuff to clean up. Uh, I thought Terrence Davis was pretty good defensively, but OG Ananobi, man, was like, he had a really strong preseason. And I thought this was even in a pretty modest statistical output, 11.7 rebounds, two blocks at 36 minutes. I thought that was an exact snapshot of what this year's Raptors team needs OG Ananobi to be for them as the fifth starter. He was excellent. Um, just great. And... Yeah, like, you want him to be better than one for four from three-point range, but if he's two for four, we're saying it's great. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's not The stabilization worth point here yeah. is 750 yeah. attempts. Yeah. I'm not willing to write him off after yeah. four. Yeah, um, and it's just sort of he missed one very badly, so that sticks in your mind. But that last, I mean, if we wanted to zero in on one play, the last Pelicans possession of regulation, uh, both he and Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry on J.J. Redick, um, 
and I thought Alvin Gentry had weird rotations in the fourth quarter. I, I thought Reddick was off for too long, and I thought Jill well. Okafor was in for too long, um, which relates to the latter point. Uh, I would have been fine with Favors or Melly, to be honest. Uh, anyway, to the play at hand, uh, Lowry was just great on Reddick, uh, but that doesn't matter as much if OG doesn't need the help on Drew Holiday. Uh, or does need help on Drew Holiday, and he did not. He just swallowed him whole, and then great discipline not to, you know, totally bite or lean when the shot attempt came. And, you know, that's the play that stands out. He was very good in general. Uh, I, I mean, Drew Holiday, I think, got him once in overtime, and Drew Holiday is very good um, in any number of ways. So that's going to happen. But I thought it was a hugely positive uh, night for OG and just for the concept that he can be, you know, if not a shutdown defender, the guy who you're very comfortable given many of the the biggest assignments in the game um, too. Yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was great. I thought he was what he needed to be. It was lovely. Very encouraged by that. Cool. Um, I don't know if he'll average 11 and 7, but... I, I don't... I, I don't know. Who knows? If he plays 36 Look, minutes that, a night, he might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, and he rebounded, you know, not... Four defensive rebounds in 36 minutes for a guy that size isn't great, but he added the offensive rebounds, so overall it looks not too bad. And um, he's also, think, like, he's on, like, the primary ball handler quite a bit, so it's yeah. not really a natural position... You know, obviously he's bigger, but it's tough to get a bunch of defensive rebounds when you're in those spots. So I thought I didn't think he was a problem on the glass whatsoever. But that's no, I, 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 I really have to, to I'd have to go back and watch. Yeah, yeah, I was going to pivot to just that. I think that that might be an issue for the Raptors at the team level. Um, the Pelicans grabbed 28% of their own misses in this one. Some of those were, you know, as they always are, like getting multiple rebounds on the same miss. But it's not a great percentage. Uh, I thought it was good that everyone who played got at least three defensive rebounds. Like, that's the kind of gang rebounding you're going to need. Um, Gasol didn't have his best re- Gasol and Ibaka both didn't have their best rebounding games. But Norman Powell chipped in a bunch. Both the point guards you know, are, are better defensive rebounders than their size would suggest. So um, there was some some positive there, but I think that's probably, you know, they were average last year, and even that was floated by JV early in the year. I think they'll yeah. probably be a below average defensive rebounding team, but um, that's, uh, that's something we'll need a little bit more of a sample for. I think that's all we need to talk about from the opener, which was uh, a ton of fun and had a lot of positives and maybe some, some concerning points. Looking ahead... The Raptors play in Boston on Friday. The Athletic Toronto's own Eric Kareen will be on hand. The Raptors will then play the Chicago Bulls in Chicago on Saturday. The Athletic's Eric Kareen will also be on hand for that one. Uh, the Raptors are next back at home Monday, which uh, I, I would imagine there will be less media at that game than there was for the opener. <laughs> but it's a rematch of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And it's Terrence versus Terrence. Terry 1 yeah. versus Terry 2. One R versus two R's. By the way, did you, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but did you get a kick out of Terrence Davis skying for an uncontested defensive rebound? I did. I, it's, look, if there's a Terrence on the Toronto Raptors, he is going to do that. 
Yeah, Sean <laughs> um, going to pass out on Monday with the Terrence versus Terrence matchup. Uh, it was I, his whole family was there. I saw them after the game. Uh, Sean Woodley's in. or Terrence Davis? No, I just could not care less <laughs> about Sean Woodley and his family. Uh, that's my wow. heel, that's my that's my heel promo of the day. <laughs> um, uh, I guess if I were Samoa Joe, uh, Joe, I just threaten his family, which I'm not going to do. Um, his, yeah, it was just cool. His whole family was there in in Davis uh, Davis two jerseys, except for his dad, who had a Davis senior jersey. Amazing. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. Amazing. Okay, uh, looking ahead to Boston, Chicago, Orlando, uh, all three of those games will take place before we next talk to you, I think, uh, just the way the schedule and the practice Yeah, I'd say we're either coming at you on, you know, we'll record on Tuesday or record on Thursday, depending on how our schedules shake up. And what producer Tyler wants to do. No, so. he has no say over this. Okay. <laughs> take that, producer Tyler. Uh, he's just going to cut that part out anyway. So he's yeah. going to, what, what he should do now is just chop up bits of things you've said and turn well, them into just I hope he's complimentary use, of him. I hope he's using this as leverage. He he absolutely should. Like just There's to almost no us. way he's listening at this point in the podcast. <laughs> we haven't even started talking about wrestling yet. At the end yeah, of we're not going uh, to because we're running out of time here. Yeah, at the end of the Ringer uh, Media podcast with Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, which is one of the few podcasts I, I listen to regularly, uh, the producer puts a cut together of like things they said that sound like they're having a conversation, but they're just random, like innocuous things that make them sound kind of <laughs> dumb. Uh, it's it's a good gag. Anyway, Tyler, Please you can do that. that. <laughs> All right, well, what are you looking for this weekend with Boston and Chicago from your defending champion Toronto Raptors? The biggest question I have is depth. Uh, you know, it's a back-to-back. Nick Nurse is going to have to go deeper into this rotation. As I said, I, you know, Stanley Johnson or Malcolm Miller, I guess, just makes a ton of sense against Boston uh, specifically. Uh, I bet Chris Chicago could be a Chris Boucher game uh, just because of their plethora or not plethora but you know like Laurie Markinen and Wendell Carter and uh I'm missing another big who did like Thad Young like those all profile as not so much Carter but the other two guys are are people that you know at that position that Boucher could theoretically hang with so I, I'm interested in seeing the the bench brought in a little bit um you know the Boston matchup is certainly fascinating given I think most people expect these two teams to sort of, once again, be in similar spots this year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's, those are those are the big things, uh, you know, that you do have to get a bit deeper into the wing rotation, I think, against the Celtics. Uh, and, you know, whether you can get away with starting Van Vliet, uh, like like you, assuming he's healthy, I think they'll, they'll try. Um, but we'll see if they're punished for it and see how uh, how flexible Nick Nurse is with this roster and uh, this early in the season. Cool. Well, I hope you have a nice trip. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you off air before then, but I will talk to you once you're back for this podcast. Yes. Yes. I hope okay. you. Uh, I, think, I think that's you it. Enjoy I think we're good for this opening weekend. night. All right. Yeah, we right? can't we can't devote this much analysis to every game, or else. Uh, you guys will just get too much content and you'll be sick of us, if possible. Yeah, also, I mean, we talked a bunch about uh, banner raising and a ring ceremony that won't happen every game. And usually it should, though. Be two or there three should or be a banner raising every game. 
I disagree. But every game should also start at seven o'clock. So I don't know how these two things work. Yeah, I don't know. I'll work. I'll uh, workshop it. All right. Um, okay, guys, we'll talk to you uh, sometime next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, reminder, theathletics.com slash we the six. That's the number six can get you 40% off a, an annual subscription. And this podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, part of a loaded network of athletic podcasts. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Eric, thanks, buddy. Thank you. See ya. See ya.